This. This is, this is diversified, diversified, diversified game, game, game. game. A podcast giving entrepreneurial advice from a diverse and inclusive perspective with Kelly. He may agree, he may oppose, and it's more than just race, it's about, you know, ideas. So, let the game begin. It's Kelly, and today on Diversified Game, get your pen and your paper ready. You are going to learn how to make an impact in your community. I have the CEO of Cooperative Capital, Kwaku Ose. He's going to give us the game on how we can make our community a better place. Kwaku, welcome to the show. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Kelly. How are you doing, man? Man, I am good. Blessed by the best, no matter what stress we may be going through in these crazy times. Uh, you know, it's interesting, man, because uh, obviously I don't, I don't, you know, I don't know if we want to start there, man. But yeah, it's interesting. I feel like there's a lot of really, really interesting things that are happening all around the world that are compounding on each other. Um, but despite that, I think that you know, it's, it's it's chaos that I think was actually going to potentially enable a new reality. Uh, people are talking about a new normal, and I'm hoping that our new normal. Is actually much more aligned with what it should be normal, and which is what should be aligned with what's natural. Because what we were, what, what was normal before, should have been normalized in the first place. So I think that, um, yeah, I definitely understand. I mean, it can be it's heartbreaking, and you're in a city that you know at any, I mean, at any time, whether it's the basketball team. I can remember Dennis Rodman and the Bad Boys going off, and you're you know you're in Detroit where they don't play. Um, and, and you have a business that, you know, I know Detroit, they say is being gentrified or is gentrified. And here you are coming up with, you know, something that just looks like it can help the community all across the uh, nation and possibly the globe. Tell us about your venture. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you for that. I really appreciate it. So a little bit about cooperative capital, uh, I started this uh, company in uh, 2016. So actually two months away from it being four years. And it's actually something I've been thinking about for a very long time, Kelly, uh, but I'll, I'll spare you guys with the boring details. Um, ultimately, the most difficult thing about cooperative capital, even in the earliest days, was figuring out a legal way to do it. So I spent about 18 months of off and on research trying to figure out a way, like how can we, how can we enable residents to be able to pull their money in the way that we envision. And, um, you know, the, the real difficult uh, piece of it is legislation that was uh, uh, embedded in or that was created as far back as, um, as a consequence of the Great Depression. So we have legislation on the books from as far back, I think I'm going to say like 1933. Uh, back, way back then, there were a number of people that were being swindled by Ponzi schemes and the likes. And based on that activity, the SEC, the equivalent of the SEC, I don't know what it was called back then, but the equivalent of the SEC basically instituted these rules that would uh, make it such that the typical American, they basically created this barrier that made it a lot more difficult for the typical American to be taken advantage of. So it was a really good intention, but then fast forward 70 plus years and the world has dramatically changed and that law was still in place preventing a lot of people from being able to participate. So you think about the embedment of technology and uh, the internet, everything, the personal, uh, uh, personalized computers happening in the 90s, the emergence of the web, uh, 90s, 2000s, uh, mobile, and so on and so forth. And essentially, you had these laws from back in the 30s that created a situation where the typical person wouldn't have access to be able to make those type of investments up until... Uh, uh, those companies that, you know, basically brought, ushered in this type of innovation went public through IPO. And as you know, uh, uh, with anything, uh, there's a risk-reward continuum, right? So at the earliest days, these are, these are very risky uh, 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 ventures, very risky investments, in fact. But more risk, more potential reward, or at least typically anyway. And so uh, anyway, I'm, I'm going on a tangent that I shouldn't be going on, but just to provide some context, it was really difficult to figure out a legal way to do cooperative capital. But finally, after about 18 months or so, finally found uh, a term. I was inspired by the Northeast Investment Cooperative, which is based in Minnesota. 
Um, interesting is Minnesota of all places, given you know what's going on there, what just happened recently. Um, but you know, you had a group of residents that uh, uh, so in Northeast Minnesota, you had a group of residents that basically had a, a, a somewhat blighted downtown area, and a number of the residents basically came together and said, you know, this used to be a really boisterous place where you know it was it was the the center of our community that's now essentially desolate. So a number of them came together and said, what if we try to buy up a couple properties here and allow this place to reemerge? Well, they created an investment cooperative. And prior to them, I wasn't even aware that that was a term, you know? And so once I learned that term, from then on, I basically learned, oh, this is a potential way. And then I basically stumbled across some legislation that was recently passed that would enable this type of activity. They were a major inspiration. I want to give them a shout out for that reason. Um, now, I should also share that Minnesota has some uh, state legislation that's very interesting that allows for that type of uh, investment cooperative to work in a way that most states don't have as uh, favorable legislation to enable similar activity. But there's still, it's one of those things where there's a will, there's a way. And so basically, I saw what they were doing found a way within existing state legislation. The state legislation that we were leveraging is one that is available in 33 states across the nation. And now there's actual federal legislation that enables some of it. So anyway, long story short, figured that out, ran it by several uh, prominent lawyers and law firms. And once I kind of got the okay from them, um, <laughs> also learned that they were willing to do the work, but that work was gonna be too much money uh, and so essentially, basically they're like, oh yeah, you can do that. And we can put together the paperwork for you, but that's gonna cost 50 grand. And I'm like, okay, I don't got 50 grand. I have like maybe about 40 grand saved up or something like that. And I'm like, and it also that, that, that number basically made our model, the business model financially nonsensical. So what I said to myself, I was like, okay, well, before I move any further, I better confirm that this is something people really have desire for. And so I just started talking to folks. And as I began talking to folks, um, you know, people are like, oh, this is really cool. If you pull this off, count me in for this much. Some mm -hmm. of those folks connected with other people that said similar things. Some of those folks were like, huh, um, hey, I'm throwing an event. Would you be willing to speak about this at this event? I'm like, sure. You know? And um, that began the journey, man. And uh, it's a little hot, so I'm going to this, but um, that began the journey. And before you know it, I was getting invited to speak at several events across Michigan. Uh, I don't want to boost or hype it, but uh, got invited to speak at a conference in San Francisco. And this is all within the first couple of months of me starting. So it was like stars were aligning. I was able to secure commitments from all these folks and was just creating a lot of buzz. And with that attention, caught the attention of state regulators in the state of Michigan. And that began the first of many battles. Um, so anyway, to answer your question, Cooperative Capital, right? We are an organization that was created uh, to help create community-based funds that would enable residents to pull their money together in one big pot. And as one collective unit, invest those monies in several opportunities throughout their own community. And the whole idea is to create a situation where residents could come together to collectively invest and build up their community in a way that everyone benefits. And, and in such a way that, you know, uh, they can actually have a voice less choice in what happens in, in, in their community as it continues to develop. So it's a form of group economics in your community. Yes, sir. And you have a beautiful, and the links will be in the description, people, uh, you know, um, a video explainer that talks about what you do. And, if this can be done, you know, say in 33 states, and I know the people vote for what they want to build, I can already hear, maybe it's because I'm catching some contact being here in Seattle from the neighbor, but I can see folks saying, hey, can we open a dispensary together, a neighborhood uh, dispensary? Um, uh, what are the rules and, and regulations of what they can open? Uh, great, great, great question. Uh, I should also tell you that uh, so, basically, along the way, it began in the state of Michigan, specifically within the city of Detroit. And due to the legislation that we were trying to utilize being 
uh, relatively new, and there not be many presidents. And even then, we were trying to push against the boundaries of that existing legislation. We had a series of uh, regulatory battles with the state of Michigan. So I've had three investigations um, done on cooperative capital and me as a result of that. Uh, we always got through each investigation, um, but there was a lot of stop and go, stop and go. So I actually did the math just the other day. Uh, today, we've been around for about four to six months. Well, had been under investigation for 13 months. And due to those investigations and, and some of the stipulations of agreements that uh, came out of some of those investigations, had not been able to do anything with cooperative capital for about 23 months. So any of that, due to that back and forth and those regulatory battles, came up with a new strategy about a year ago. And very, very fortunately, just about a month ago, uh, we got a, a grant, a sizable grant from the Ford Foundation to carry this thing out. And this new uh, strategy leverages federal law that has been around for decades, in which there are many presidents. And essentially, uh, without boring you with all the details of this new strategy, uh, we are effectively kind of open sourcing cooperative capital, if you will. So don't think of it like a, a playbook or a toolkit, but think of it more so like an online-based GPS system where we are combining uh, information, education, tools, and we're weaving all that together in a technology platform that we've developed such that a community of residents, community champion, or community organization will be able to leverage our platform and go through a four-step uh, four process to go from where they are today to ultimately doing the collective community-based investing we always envision. And with that, us leveraging federal law is all 50 states and, and uh, territories. <laughs> so um, that's really exciting. Now to answer your question about Seattle, um, the beauty of it is we as cooperative capital, we are making decisions on where the money's go. It's ultimately up to the resident-based investors in our respective community, right? And so, uh, and, 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 and our strategy, there aren't much restrictions on what you can invest in as far as it's not illegal. So I don't know if a dispensary, I don't know what the, the licensing rules or, or what permits you may need to be able to do that in Seattle, but if there is a, a, a pathway forward there and you guys were able to assemble that, yeah, yeah, you could, you, could, you could do a dispensary if your group so chose. Okay, so there's no, you know, because statewide you can you have state rights, but federally there's nothing stopping you in your, you know, paperwork saying, well, if it's federally against the law, we don't, we can't touch it. No. Yeah, you you guys will be fine. Seattle, if, 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 it's, if it's a Seattle slash, I guess, depending on what that, the parameters are, and again, I, I don't know, but if it's a Washington-based state law, and you guys are doing this within within Washington, um, then yeah, you you you'd be fine. Now, a lot of people do group economics. What started like three investigations? Are those state or federal? State. And you know what are are they accusing you of something? Because I mean, with the with all the you know group funding, and we see people who have taken millions of dollars and produced absolutely zero. Yeah, you know, and, and you're just trying to start. It's like, is it a political thing, or, or, or what is this? Is it federal, state? What's going on? Yeah, it's been state of Michigan specific. Um, thank God, and um, and so we never never had any problems with federal. Um, and I'll tell you that along this journey, almost four years, um, we have connected with several communities across the nation. Seventy-five of which are very interested in having a cooperative capital fund. 25 of which are extremely interested. And so as we've talked to other state agencies, um, have had uh, each state agency potentially handles it differently. And so some are a lot more friendlier than others. And I guess part of the issue is you never know upfront because uh, uh, it's not the job of state regulators to tell you when you're doing wrong, it's their job to prosecute you when they, they believe that you've crossed the line in any way. And, um, and so we've tried to have a friendly relationship with the state of Michigan without getting too much into the weeds with it. Um, you asked if there's something political in nature. I don't wanna entertain that, but there are a number of people that have suggested that there is. And the lived experience that I've had with it, especially given the third investigation, has led me to believe that there's a lot of, there's something there. But 
yet again, it, it is what it is. You know, we, we all know that we, we are within a, a system that operates the way the system operates. And so uh, uh, I'll just leave it there at that. Then as far as um, why, um, well, the first investigation was, was friendly enough, right? It was like, as I mentioned to you, started just talking to folks and started to catch a buzz, was catching some momentum, some real good momentum. And so the state of Michigan basically reached out and said, hey, it appears you're engaged in the offering of selling securities. And if so, under what you know, jurisdiction or you know, have you registered the securities or what legislate, what exemption are you using, basically? And I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. We aren't selling anything. I haven't collected a penny from anyone. So we haven't sold anything. And then I also shared that we weren't offering anything. I was merely proposing a new economic model. And I was sharing that widely with folks in order to solicit feedback, in order to incorporate that feedback into something that we may offer down the line. And basically, once we got to the point where we were ready to actually do offering, we would go through the proper process. So that was the first investigation. And that was, quite frankly, them just doing their job. I was really impressed because that, that is what, that's what they're there to do. You know? um, however, on the flip side of that, it was a six month, about a six-month-long investigation. And uh, I think that was pretty long. Um, and um, at the end of it, though, they concluded it. They found the wrongdoing. And they provided me, uh, they, 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 they advised that we didn't do anything with cooperative capital until we went through the proper process of either registering securities or finding a proper exemption to utilize. We would end up doing that in August of that year. And um, the second investigation, so we filed our paperwork to get a state-based exemption. Um, it was uh, seemingly approved. I called one of them to kind of confirm um, that we were, because we were listed on the website and everything like that. We were, according to them, we were good to go. Well, a, a few months later, after I had that conversation with one of the people there, they came back and said, actually, we found these issues with the exemption application. There were four issues that they outlined. Um, they were rather small in nature. We saw three of them within a 24-hour time frame. And Ralph saw them the fourth one. They basically came back and said, no, because you didn't do that front, you weren't fully compliant with the act. Therefore, you can't be a under this act. Consequently, everything you've done has been in violation. So cease and desist. And they were attempting to find me $30,000. I would have been labeled a financial bad actor, which precluded me from doing anything in the space anywhere across the US for five years. And in any event, it was, um, it was very heavy handed for the infraction that they called out. It was very heavy handed. And everyone that was connected to it, um, that knew about it, um, was like, wow, this is really strange. And that's when a couple of folks that were more in the know said, so I don't want to get too too into details with it, but you know you get where I'm going with it. But very yeah, fortunately, I lawyered up, and we were able to resolve everything with the state. So we we that that, that investigation began in February. It concluded in May with their cease and desist order, May 18th of 2018. We resolved everything with them September, right after Labor Day, September of 2018. And as part of that agreement, one of the stipulations was we couldn't do anything with cooperative capital in the state of Michigan for six months. That that was essentially from September to March of 2019. So it was during that time period that I actually came up with the new strategy and was getting ready to reemerge, was you know, getting ready for March to come. March comes and I'm starting to actually pull together some resources because I've been self-funding cooperative capital up until that point. And finally had gotten some uh, mission aligned investors um, to, to invest and unfortunately, uh, the third and last investigation, and should be final investigation, was launched May of 2019. And that one, Kellen, came out of left field. Um, it was one of those things where it was like, okay, like, basically, long story short, there was an online-based publication that released a story about us. Um, and it was a positive story. It was a bit outdated. Um, but nonetheless, uh, the investigation was like, hey, According to this article, it says you guys are doing this, this, and that. So it's basically explain yourselves. And the thing for me was just like, wow, okay, like it's shown, it, it shined a spotlight for me because it's like there's an inordinate amount of time and attention being paid to our effort. And then the second thing you did was like, like what control do we have over anybody publishing whatever they want about us? So very, very fortunately in this instance, I had uh, the email chain 
that showed the, uh, the, the conversations between us. And I provided, I provided, in each of these investigations, open book, man, very transparent, providing them everything that they need. And so that investigation went on from May until the end of September. And uh, that was concluded. And in fact, at that point, I was like, I was about to be done with Washington Capital because I was just like, man, I, that really hurt because uh, that disrupted. First of all, a lot of this was stop and go, stop and go, stop and go. And so a lot of this made me feel like the boy that cried wolf. You know, I got a lot of people excited about what we're doing. And, you know, we're, we're, we're finally about to get close to do something. And then, boom, investigation, pause. And doing the investigation, I'm not communicating with anyone, right? Because we, we kind of can't. It's, or it's not, it's not. It's not, it's not, it wouldn't be a prudent thing for us to do to still be communicating with folks while we don't know what's gonna happen. And so anyway, uh, you know, this took a mental toll, spiritual toll, financial toll, and I was just done. I was done, man. But um, <laughs> I wasn't public about the third investigation, um, but interestingly enough, once it was concluded, out of nowhere, folks just came out of the woodworks offering resources, and I turned them down because I was committed to being done. But then a few months would go by and more folks started reaching out. And I just took that as a sign from God or the universe that like, all right, perhaps I need to look at this one last time. And so uh, Kellen, I made some if-then statements to myself. And, um, and basically those, it was like, if I can get this, then I will continue to this. And those were working out. And long story short, man, um, as I mentioned to you, man, we got we got we got a, a beautiful grant from the Ford Foundation that's supporting our new strategy, and based on that, we now have enough uh, enough money, enough resources to have the best top lawyers to represent us, which should keep a lot of that stuff that was happening at bay. Uh, meanwhile, again, we're leveraging federal law that's been around for decades, and we're just leveraging technology to be able to facilitate a lot of stuff and enable a lot of that activity. So we're coming at it more seasoned, more prudent, more creatively, to still get at what we always intended to do within the confines of a very restrictive uh, law. Wow, that sounds like a shakedown. Uh, it sounds like you gotta use our lawyers, our people, and you know, if you don't, because so many people raise money online and you went through the extra steps that, it, I know people who raised, I mean, were you raising millions of dollars? No, man, no. Um, so our first fund in Detroit would have been $1 million, and that was based on legislation. So we, we actually would have been oversubscribed. We got just a little over 200 people um, in the Southeast Michigan area, very interested um, and, and, and committed pledge to money towards the fund. But, you know, um, no, we weren't raising millions of dollars. And, uh, so no. and, and were you, I mean, you weren't, Sorry, Kevin, you just, uh, you're, you're on mute. They didn't say, hey, you spent it wrong because you're trying to do good. And it's it, it's just kind of interesting. I'd be done with the state of Michigan personally because mm -hmm. it's okay. You, you know, you, you guys don't, you don't want to help us and you keep bringing these investigations. And, and, and that's, that's just, that's, that's nuts to think that I know influencers who raise 700,000 and above. Yeah. And produce no schools. Yeah. You no. Know, and it, yeah. You know, and, and they were raising money for for different things. And it's not just one person. I know a, a couple. So I mean, how do you teach the audience when you're doing that as a CEO? Do you have another job? Are you driving Uber? How do you eat <laughs> when they're yeah, starving? Man. Um. Yeah, man. Kellen. It was very difficult for me, man, because, um, you know, as, as you know, and I, I shared earlier, right, I did a pre-MBA program at Yale, it was a Harvard Business School. Um, at one point, I was going to pursue my MBA at Harvard, I decided against it. Along the way, I'd gotten, um, I'd gotten an offer to potentially pursue my MBA at Oxford, full ride. And these were opportunities I turned down to stay on this journey. And so, um, you know, there, there's some real sacrifice involved. And I've been self-funding this thing up until this point. And, and, and by the way, I don't come from means, man. I grew up Section 8 housing um, in Alexandria, Virginia, right outside D.C. My parents, especially my dad, is looking at me like, boy, what are you doing? Like, like he's looking at me like, 
come on, man, the stuff that you're trying to do is stuff that really wealthy people, uh, people's children should be doing. But I just knew in my heart that this was a solution that needed to exist. And unfortunately, I didn't see it happening in the way that we were doing it. And there's a small subset of people that I felt were in a position to be, to be able to understand the problem as uniquely as I do, um, and, and then actually be able to execute it. And so I, since I didn't see anyone in that subset doing it, I'm like, well, I'll do it. Um, but yeah, man, it, it was difficult. I will tell you, though, on the flip side of that, man, I've been very, very fortunate that along the way, uh, I have been, I've always been an investor. And I've been a really, I've been, uh, history has now shown that I've been a really good one. And so I'm a contrarian investor. I make bold bets. But um, basically, I bought a lot of real estate in Detroit at a good time. Um, I was an earlier investor in cryptocurrencies back in 2016, which was a good time, <laughs> you know. Um, yeah. And some of that really helped um, cushion some of these things. Uh, but I'll also say that uh, some of what I did was, so uh, I've always been someone that's been trying to go for financial freedom. I think that there's a lot of people that kind of get confused because they, they try to convince us that we all should want to be rich and actually convince us that we want to be rich. Well, in truth, most people don't truly care to be rich. They don't, they don't mind if it happens, but what most people truly want is they want financial freedom. They want a situation in which they could be able to live the life that they want to live without being concerned, without having financial concerns. And once you have that mindset versus I need a million, because you don't need millions of dollars to be financially free. So, uh, Kellen, uh, I own my house here, free and clear. It's not the best house in the world, but it does, it's, it's, it's more than I need, in fact. I own my car free and clear. It's not the best car, but it gets me from point A to B. And I look damn good getting from point A to point B. Um, and truth be told, once you own your house and you own your transportation, all the other costs, it comes down to essentially food and leisure. Um, and so there aren't many more significant costs. And so I'm I, I able to survive less than $700 a month. Two grand a month, I'm balling. I'm, you know, hey, Kelly, drinks on me, brother. Hey, I, I'll find you in the Bay, bro. I got you. I'll find you in Seattle, dog. I'll be there next week. You know, two grand a month, it, it enables me that level of flexibility. Um, that being said, you know, I don't have certain responsibilities that I understand others might have. I don't have any children at the moment. That's going to change soon. I'm excited about that. Um, but yeah, you know, um, so yeah, so, so, during, these, uh, during this time period of these investigations and being shut down and such, I did do some small consulting gigs here and there. I was very, very thankful and fortunate that along the way I connected with different groups that saw value in me and saw what I could do. And, you know, give me small little projects here and there that I would just come in and aggressively knock out because I needed the bread, right? And then, um, and then the other thing this thing did is it allowed me time to flesh out some of the other concepts I've been working on. And so um, that was also beautiful. Um, this whole thing has been a huge blessing in disguise because I'll tell you, man, there was a lot of turmoil. There was a lot of woe is me going on in my own. There's a lot of depression in this journey because I just couldn't understand why it was happening the way it was happening. But what I also realized, and I just got more clarity on this within the last few months, um, is, you know, here I am, I'm just one person. And, you know, uh, I, I can only see so much of what's really happening. I can only see so much of the much bigger picture. But there is this much bigger picture that is well beyond me. And, um, and so, uh, you know, uh, basically what I now realize, which I couldn't have known back then, was that uh, there was a much bigger thing going on. And actually, though it looked like chaos, it was actually beautiful. And it needed to happen that way to allow for the right time, the right timing, for the right resources, and for the right people to be in the right situation where they can present themselves, and blah, 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 blah. So now wow. I'm gonna ask, yeah. So, so 
when do you think, you know, if someone who's in, you know, Tennessee or my new home in three weeks of Florida, you know, if they say, wow, we want to do this, they have a system already, you know, we want to take it abandoned, whatever, and put some money towards this. When do you think you'll be able to take some money? Yeah. And- yeah. Um, so we're relaunching Cooperative Capital at the end of this month. So end of June, um, last week of June, essentially, we'll be relaunching uh, with the tech platform and everything like that. Really excited about that. Um, in, in route of that, we're having conversations like the one we're having with you. You're the first one, though. So, you know what I'm saying? Gave me that exclusive, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, very fortunately, along the journey, we've gotten some really good coverage. There was, um, and you know what? I will actually want to shout her out. Um, so let me just pull up really quickly, if you don't mind. Okay, no, 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 no worries. Um, I, you know, I, I, I talk a lot to people about what you talk about owning your your properties, owning your car. And I tell people, if you go to the continent and go to any country in Africa and own your stuff, and if you have, you know, about $3,000 a month, you're rich. And you won't have to worry about anything if you got well water and solar. And with the investigations, I think of Marcus Garvey when you talk about that, because you're free and clear. Um, they find you, but it's almost like they're looking for something and they, they're mm-hmm. picky and being, you know, so nitpicky, like you need political friends. I don't think you paid the right politician. It, yeah, you know. well, <laughs> I, I would rather us take the conversation away from that because uh, those are realities <laughs> that still exist. Um, okay. So it's all good, right? It's all good because now, you know, we're, we're, we have a new strategy that, you know, but those are realities that still exist, so. You know, okay. I just want to throw it out there just because I want people to know we're not going to be silent when folks are trying to do the right thing. It's one thing if you're doing 419. I don't know if you know what that means. But, no. okay. Oh, it, yeah, yeah, the scams. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, I know, I know you got a roots, not night job, but you're close. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you for calling that out, right? It's, it's, it, there's a difference yeah. there, right? So I yeah. appreciate that. Um, but what I'll say, man, is um, you're exactly right. Um, so first, first and foremost, man, I want to just shout out Adele Peters. Uh, she was a young lady that reached out uh, from Fast Company, and that was our first bit of coverage back in um, April 2018. Um, things were going extremely well for us, and um, she was the first. Bit, she was the first writer taking interest of us and wrote about us. And from her, a number of other publications took interest thereafter. Um, I'm actually going to be uh, reaching out to Adele soon. Uh, so I just I just want to say I really appreciate you, Adele, for finding us. She found us. I don't know how she did, but she did. And she's basically like, look, like, yeah, I found you guys. And I'm really, really excited about what you guys are trying to do. I feel like we need more coverage of uh, initiatives and efforts like this. So, I mean, you know, it's I, I just really appreciate her. I just want to call that out. Um, okay. But, but, but I also, I also want to answer or, or speak to what the point you just made. What this experience highlighted to me was, so I haven't been wholly public about my investigative stories, right? But there are people that know. There are some people that know. But before then, before you knew, before I just told you, right, you had no idea. So how many other brothers and sisters are trying to do things in which they're having the same type of resistance and we just don't even know? And thank God for me, I had a bit of resources and some connections to be able to navigate my way out of the very tight, uh, uh, tight boxes they were trying to put me in, right? Thank God. How many of our brothers and sisters are trying to do the right thing in the community that don't have the resources, don't have the connections? Get get a potential letter like the one I got. When I got that letter, and they're like, they're gonna find me thirty thousand dollars and label me a financial bad actor, which would preclude me from doing anything in space anywhere across your five years, uh, across US for five years, and even thereafter. Right, you can Google me today. You can Google me today, and if you add Laura, you'll see the second investigation. Most people will see that second investigation, and they may not go read far enough into it to realize, oh no, that was resolved. There was no wrongdoing. You know, no, you know, no guilt, no admittance of anything. Blah 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 blah. Right. So, real. Uh, had I been labeled a financial bad actor, even after the five year, still would have been a permanent black eye. Right. So, real risk. Real risk. And 
I, I don't even know. Now that I've had the experience, I wouldn't, I would have never thought. I, but I got a real education from this. I would have never thought that that was reality. But it helped me better understand that, okay, there is this system, there is this dynamic that we're fully aware of, but it just allowed me to understand how powerful and how entrenched that system is. And so anyway. Let me ask you, if you would have taken this money via a PayPal, a Patreon, a true fan, something like that, would they have not said anything? Was it the fact that you're taking the money yourself and not leaning on one of, you know, the big, you know. Well, Kevin, Kevin, there's a major thing that I got to inform you on. Mm -hmm. Throughout the journey, we never took a penny from anybody. <laughs> never collected a penny, right? So all we had was pledges, commitments, and interest aggregated. And we were getting very close to finally taking money from folks, but we never collected a penny from anybody. And so wow. that, that maybe answers your question. Um, but wow. second, what was really an issue was, uh, uh, and I hinted to it at the very beginning of this, right? Um, the legislation that has been put in place since the 30s, that up until the Jobs Act, which Obama proposed, right? When the Jobs Act was proposed in 2012, wasn't actually enacted until late 2015, early 2016. And essentially, that was the first bit of legislation that enabled for some of this type of activity that we're talking about today. So before then, uh, if you were a non-accredited investor, right, there's a different, you know, non-accredited versus accredited, right? Yeah. And an accredited investor is someone. One, let me know. Um, was that? You know, if you ever need one, let me know. Oh, word. It, you know, that's, yeah, so that was the problem. That, you that was the problem. What was oh, the issue sorry. was we were we were pooling together non-accredited and accredited alike. That was a problem. And I'm not going to give the people a game overload. I might talk to you again about that because I I have you know different things going on, and you know I've had a woman in the past. She was like, "Are you an accredited investor?" When I didn't know what that was. Mm. And and now that I can sit at certain tables, like, oh, okay. But it's so, to me, in capitalism, it's such kind of a contradiction to say, if you're not making X amount of dollars, if you're not valued at this. You can't even play. You can't even play. Right. And, and that's anti-capitalist to me. And, you know, um, so there are a number of reasons for the current, you look at the wealth inequality and economic inequality, there are a number of reasons. We don't have to go into all of them, right? But one major reason is for this reason, right? The fact that a tremendous amount of people were shut out of even being able to participate. And again, as I, as I hinted to, uh, or we talked about previously, right? Between the 30s and 20, uh, 2015, when things loosened up, you had Google, Facebook, Apple, all of the big, you know, Amazon, all of the Giants of today were created, right? That are now, I mean, Amazon is sporting just shy of, a, or just maybe even over now, a trillion dollar market cap. Uh, Facebook is what, 600 billion, 700 billion. Apple is a trillion dollar market cap. We also have Microsoft along the way, trillion dollar market cap, if not, if not it, a shy of it. Uh, Google, just shy, if not over a trillion dollar. So all of these companies emerged and essentially, you look at you look at some of the people that were able to invest early in. Now, of course, for every Google, Amazon, Facebook, et cetera, et cetera, there were hundreds of companies that went for the same opportunity and fell by the wayside. So there's real deal risk. We should not ignore that. However, you think about the VC model, right? The VC model is I'm gonna make I'm gonna make a bunch of bets. I know some of these joints are gonna work out. Matter of fact, I know the majority of these are gonna work out. But if I make a hundred bets. I believe that about 20 of these will potentially lose me a little bit of money, but will return something. Maybe 10 of these will give me the money I invested back. Five of these will give me, uh, or maybe uh, another 10 will give me uh, a 2X or 3X on the money I invested. And then maybe two or three out of these 100 will make up for everything else. Those are your, your Googles, your Facebook, your Amazons, your... Uh, Uber, up until Uber, you know, more recently. Nonetheless, right? Those are, you put in, I mean, I think about the investment I made in Ethereum. Cryptos, right? So I bought in Ethereum at a $12 average. Um, for anyone that's familiar with cryptos, 
That 12 bucks would end up going to as high as 1400 about 1400 before it came back down to about 200 and then would go as low as 88 bucks, and now it's back like 240 Well, long story short, from 12 bucks to uh, 1400 you know, talk about putting like three grand in at that, at that level. Yeah. Talk about putting a thousand in at, tw at 12 bucks, right? Uh, 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 that I believe, and I'm not doing the math all the way correctly, but it's essentially about a thousand X return. So your thousand bucks now is like a hundred something grand. Yeah, and don't say too much because the last person who talked to me about crypto next week told me, hey, someone stole my crypto. And I said, well, you know what? Stop bragging about your crypto because right. we know that yeah. we got the vultures out here. So I did. Yeah. Plus, I, we could go into a whole thing of crypto. I got to, and I don't want to get you in trouble because when they yeah. say the tax reform, and they say, Tell us how much crypto you have. I said, why? Y'all don't recognize it anyway. You know, we were buying nothing in before. We were trying to yeah. hide things because we couldn't buy it on our parents, you know, debit card. Or if you had a parent's debit card, I, I got cash because I know how to spend it. So mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I didn't have access to, you know, parents' debit card. I had my own, which had about 12 bucks in it. But yeah. you, you I, know, I, I provide that as an illustrative um, uh Example of one that I actually have true experience with, right? So yeah. when, when my when my joint went from uh, four digits to six digits, mm -hmm. right? That was a life changer for me. And actually, going back to the story, right? That that trajectory, like how did you survive? That was one of the reasons. Thank God. I had no wow. idea that would happen, but thank God, right? And so. That was a game-changing experience, life-changing experience for me. And again, that type of experience is few and far between. But I believe and I desire for other people to be able to have that type of experience. Because with that life-changing amount of money, all of a sudden, you could do real deal things that you, you potentially had no access to previously. And, and, and those are the type of opportunities that have historically been shut out to anyone but the rich which has then created a situation where rich people were able to make those type of investments and not every one of them took advantage of it. But those that did, you now see why the, the, the gap has grown, right? It just, it, it builds on itself, it perpetuates itself, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, and the, and I always say the so-called rich because we've seen so many rich in these times. Now they're broke and, you know, and, and, and so you always have to stay humble and the vultures, I mean, the venture capitals will always be out there. I, I love the angels. But here in Seattle, we have it, it, there's so many to the point where, you know, my wife won a pitch competition for one of our businesses one time. And oh, it came with that. And she was mad at me for about three months. I said, we can't take their money. They'll, mm. they'll, they'll, they'll own you. And mm -hmm. you don't have, as a uh, physician, you don't have the time as a resident fellow. You don't have the time to do this full time and they want full time yeah you know vultures don't want they gotta eat off that carcass constantly well and, you know um kevin i want i want to i want to be a little more kind to it there is that mm -hmm. type of activity happening but mm -hmm. they play a role they play mm -hmm. a role in the ecosystem and really what we really need is we need them to play their role and be in their lane at the same time that we start creating other lanes other alternatives because the unfortunate thing is for a very long time that's been the only game in town and that mm -hmm. game in town doesn't work for other even other types of businesses they're only interested in the potential of maximizing returns because of their model right so if you you may be familiar with the, the zebras unite initiative which is know. a great one oh well they're like you know they they're it's basically tongue tongue-in-cheek versus unicorns right mm. so you got your unicorn your mysterious you know, mystical billion-dollar valuated companies. And Zebras are companies that are actually based on uh, more dependable, true businesses that are revenue-generating and could become scalable, but are just really good revenue-generating companies. So the Zebras Unite Coalition, essentially, is what it is, has been working on creating a new, a new pathway to get funding. And then I also want to give a big shout-out to uh, my guys at, um, and I got to pull <laughs> I gotta pick, pull it out real quick. Uh, give me one second. Uh, the name just slipped, just slipped, just literally just slipped my um, 
But Bryce Bryce Roberts leads it. And um, give me one second, as I. Uh, I'm close. I'm close. Bryce Roberts started um, Indie.vc. Indie.vc basically is a new form of uh, VC venture capital that is essentially supporting uh, a new type of equity-based investment that's quasi-equity. So it's a revenue-based payback versus uh, a straight-on equity. And in any event, I'm really appreciative to some of the folks that are basically creating new lanes because we need other lanes to support different types of businesses. Businesses that are really good businesses but don't have the potential to have a 50 to 100x. You know, there's tons of those businesses that exist. And, but, but because they don't produce, they don't have the potential for a 50 to 100x, they're getting no love from the current ecosystem. So things like Indy.vc, Zebras Unite, and what we're doing with Cooperative Capital are coming in to try to uh, support those type of businesses. Um, I want to um, wrap up and ask you, you know, and you've said it all through this interview, what is your community give back that you're doing or that you want to do in the future? Um, that's a great question, man. Um, that's a great question. Well, there's just several things, man. Um, the biggest thing for me, uh, my dream come true. All right, let me, let me, let me, before I give you my dream come true, maybe we can end with that. Um, the first thing is financial education. Along the way, we, we covered a number of reports and actual experiences that led us to, to understand that two-thirds of Americans are financially literate, and that number dramatically increases in urban and rural populations. So as a result of that, and given what we're doing, um, we realized that it was imperative of us to educate folks on what does this stuff mean? Because if you don't understand basic financial principles, you likely don't understand investing either. So we created a, a program called Get Financially Lit, and there will be more information um, that comes out about that soon. So uh, folks, uh, you, you won't be able to find anything on the web on it, but that's going to change very shortly. Um, so providing financial education that is accessible, inclusive, and adaptable so that we're meeting people where they are, no matter what level of financial knowledge they have is what we're up to there. And you'll learn more about that soon. Um, the other thing though, man, is um, there's, there's, there's a lot of stuff, but I don't want to sit here and make promises so I'll tell you what we're doing right now, right? Mm. And then I'll tell you where my dream, my dream come true is essentially a situation in which certain assets get converted into community-owned assets. Because to the extent that you can have community ownership of certain assets, going back to the very beginning of this conversation when you mentioned gentrification, you think about gentrification for a second, right? And it's like, there's that saying that all boats rise with the rising tide. Well, the issue is in most communities, most people don't own boats. They don't even have rafts or life-saving apparatus, right? So if you think about gentrification, gentrification as like a wave of investment, a tidal wave of investment that comes into a community. Well, if you have none of those things, as that wave comes in, you potentially get pushed out with that wave, right? Gentrification, or worse, you potentially drown from that wave, which may be the equivalent of homelessness or some other ills that, you know, come about uh, from some of this type of activity. However, to the extent that there is actually community ownership of certain assets, well, now, bring it on, baby, right? Because it's like, as soon as that wave of investment comes in, I if I have ownership of certain community-owned assets, that's going to increase the equity, the, the value of those community-owned assets I have. And so I feel like what we're trying to do with cooperative capital, much more important than the money that is collectively pulled together and invested in these communities, I think is the situation where, Kellen, you and I put 10 grand in the middle of the table. And now you and I go across Seattle and start investing in a couple of things. Within that situation, whether you like me or whether I like you, within reason no longer matters. We're gonna work together to try to grow that pot of money, right? Let's multiply you and I times a couple hundred people and have us all collectively invest in our backyard. I think more powerful than the money that is deployed is the social cohesion that comes about because now we have a reason to be working together to try to build up our community in a way that everyone benefits. The relationships that will form, the, 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 the incentive to work together, the fact that now you and I, who may not see eye to eye on a bunch of things, right? Because you know, in each community is a diverse group of people. 
We may not see eye to eye much a bunch of things, but now we have a real deal reason to come together at the table and to work collectively. So now I might get you through that, understand a little bit more about you, Kellen, and you may take the time to understand a little bit more about me. And I think that that will lead to certain discussions, debates, but well-rounded debates or more respectful debates. Because if you think about our society today, we're just well, we're too divided, and we're talking at each other. We're not talking to each other. No one's willing to listen. Uh, I am. Uh, I don't identify as Democrat or Republican, but I lean with Democrats for a number of things more than I do Republicans. But I see a lot of value in what some Republicans and even Libertarians propose. And I just, I rely on my critical thinking apparatus to help me decide on where I'm going to land on a specific issue. But I know that there are a number of people that I'm solidly Democrat, there's a number of people I'm solidly Republican. Unfortunately, we got into a point where these two, we're not having discussions, we're not having things. So we don't even understand truly where each other are coming from. We think we know, but we don't. And we just vilify, we, 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 we vilify each other and it's created this, this situation where you see it, you see it now what's happening with the, the protests that's turned into rioting and, and so on and so forth. You see it spilling out. It's, it's a manifestation. A lot of the things that's happening is a manifestation of us not being united, but truly being divided. And I forget which, uh, which of the forefathers of this country said that, you know, divided, a house can't stand. Well, that's what, that's, the seeds are being planted for that reality to unfold right before our eyes. The, the, the quote-unquote greatest country and the history of countries, right, is, is, is potentially, has the real deal possibility to potentially collapse and implode on itself if we don't, if we don't get to doing the work that needs to be done. So anyway. Um, We're talking with that. I'm, I don't, again, I don't want to give the people a game overload. They're going to have to rewind. They're going to say, what's that definition? What's that? And I want you guys to make sure you click that link and connect with him because by the time this comes out, he should have launched um, as long as they don't try to sabotage. None and I want to let you know. None of that. None of that. Yeah. We've now got the best lawyers that are focused on this space representing us. So. I, I thank you for coming on, brother. I want the people like, share, and subscribe. But thank you very much. Truly my pleasure, man. Thank you so much for taking the time, brother. And uh, yeah, man, I'm looking forward to uh, our next conversation already. Thanks for getting in the game and listening to the Diversified Game Podcast with Kellen, the number one show pairing entrepreneurship with diverse and inclusive perspectives like wine and cheese, bagel and locks, fish and grits. Be sure to visit diversifiedgame.com for all the good stuff. Join in the conversation and discover more content.